Welcome to the Take 92 Podcast. My name is Sammy Warmhands. I am your host. And today we've got a doubleheader, two different guests on the show. The main interview here is my friend Aaron Micklow from Last Rockers TV. You might have followed her on Instagram or seen her in my I Don't Care music video or one of her many, many interviews with great punk bands on YouTube. But first, I've got my old friend's Broadway Calls. I had the privilege of seeing them up in Portland over the weekend, and we got to hang out in the van for a few minutes after the show. We got the whole gang on there. We used to play a ton of shows back in the day when I was in high school. They were in Countdown to Life. And around the time they started Broadway Calls, I started Dead Fucking Serious. So we kept playing shows until they blew up and started touring all over the place. But we're going to talk about old times. We're going to talk about working with Bill Stevenson at the Blasting Room. And we're going to talk about if they have any new stuff coming. This is Broadway Calls. That was the first time I've seen you guys in a long time. What me and Ty were talking, I think it's been since before Adam was even back in the band. So it's a lot of fucking years. Yeah, um, it's been, I I've been in the band longer than I wasn't in the band. Yeah. though, at this point. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That that's a weird. Which is that, weird. That's it's why, super uh, weird, right? I don't if mean you're to gonna discredit. Talk- yeah, you know, your your role here, but I'm just saying it's been a long fucking time. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, we all we all met when uh, you guys were in uh, Countdown to Life, mm-hmm. and uh, I was doing this day's end. This is even before Dead Fucking Serious. Actually, it might have even been EPD at the time I met you guys because yep. you guys played so. at my high school. Um, I remember that show. <laughs> yeah, that show was awesome. Yeah, yeah, super fun. We yeah, we used to throw a lot of good shows there. I just remember when you guys uh, started this, being like, oh, they got a little side project, you know. Never expected all the all the great records that came after, and and man, it's it's good to see you guys back and doing it again right now. It's fucking awesome. But I guess I wanted to start by asking what everyone else is thinking. Where the fuck have you been? Well, I don't I, I don't feel like we let. There's been people that have said like, oh, you guys are doing a reunion show. I was like, no, we we're still we're, we're just we like still play. I, we're just hanging out. Yeah, I mean, we're just not touring full time. Like we we there, still play. There wasn't a point. I mean, there was a few moments when we didn't practice for a bit, but for the most part, we've we've been pretty consistent. Yeah, we've been like hanging out with hanging, you know yeah. practicing for for a few years. There were people that like friends of mine that never came to watch us or anything. They're like, "Oh, you guys have a show in Portland. Like you're getting back together." It's like, "No, man. This is <laughs> we played we played like a month ago in Portland. You know, we were busy for yeah, a yeah, long time. Sure. We were like actually really busy for years, and so." Then when we just took some time to get our fucking lives together, you know, like then like, it, seems, oh, they, it seems like we're just they must have broke up there. then. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Think oh. of it in these terms, though. Think of it in these terms. Because self-titled came out what two thousand five, two thousand six? No, no, two thousand seven. Two thousand seven. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. Self-titled two thousand seven. Good news, bad views. 2000. That was 2009. 2009. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. We got comfort distractions. <laughs> Take a little, little longer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then now uh, we've been waiting a little bit. So that in in that from the outside of the band, outside yeah, of the yeah. practice space, for sure. You know, well, that's a long, hang yeah. on though. We Wait, did an EP. When was that EP? Toxic that, Kids. Yeah. Which didn't get. I mean. But the EP was cool. I have a lot of people that are like, "Oh, those songs were great, but they just sounded horrible." So I didn't listen to them. We, I thought well, they sounded well, see, great. you guys had the the Bill and Jason treatment, which I was I, I remember yeah. fucking so many years ago. And that even going back to uh, the Countdown record you guys did with Paul sure. Miner. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I remember Danny playing me that record in the car uh, at uh, I think it was the This Day's End show at 
at the Wow Hall. And, Eugene, yeah. Yeah, and I was hearing that for the first time before it came out, going, man, this fucking sounds gnarly. And then when you guys started going to the Blast Room, uh, <laughs> I mean, I just remember geeking out uh, with you, Josh, outside, uh, what was that little that little bar on, like, 6th Street in Eugene? I don't even remember the name, but uh, you guys were telling me how crazy it was working with Bill on that on that album, and... and um, I was just super proud of you guys, super jealous, and uh, you guys just had back-to-back bangers with them. I mean, what what was that like? That, uh, I mean, Ty and I in, I don't know, like, ninth grade, 10th grade, our brother Robert, he would, he would budget out, like, okay, if we saved up, like, $4,000, like... We, yeah. could we could do, never do. We could do like an yeah. EP with Jason and Bill. Yeah. Like, that was 90... Yeah, ninety eight. Well, I remember during Out of Touch, like talking with Benty and you would be like, "Yeah, this is the thing, Adam. You need to come up. There's four guys in the band. You need to come up with a thousand dollars so that we can go down to Colorado." I was like, "My parents aren't going to let me go to Cal. Call it." What do you call it? Colorado? Yeah, yeah Colorado. I can't go there, man. I can't. Yeah. And I don't have I was in the same boat, too, because, like, when Dead Fucking Serious did our last record, I was emailing Bill going, all right, can we do this on any kind of a budget? <laughs> yeah. Is it fucking possible, DIY, to do this thing? And, uh, you know, first it went with, like, okay, tracking rates, and then it was like, okay, mix and master rates, and then it was like, okay, they just mastered it. And it yeah, sounded yeah, great, yeah, but, like, but... you know, this time we're putting out a record next month, and uh, we finally got the mix and master, so that... That was awesome, and finally mm-hmm. get the full full treatment from Jason. But sure. um, but your guys' records always sounded fantastic, and uh, that's Bill you know. and Jason, like freaking, yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was scene, man. Tr- yeah. So, how did that influence your guys' songwriting process? I mean, uh, are, Bill, they, are they just Bill, chopping Bill up your was shit like and, a main member. Of, you know, when we brought him songs, like we we were just like, you have full control. Like we trust you to do what you want with the songs and you know there was some like eh we don't want to do it like okay we're not going to do it but yeah we we try I mean we went to them because we knew what they're capable of and, yeah. and uh, we just let them do it and we, th- those songs would have never turned out how they did without Bill like well and, and but, Comfort Distraction to me was such a an accomplishment I mean in songwriting in, in tying your vocals I mean that was just the the most range you've shown mm-hmm. and and just such heart in all of those songs um that that's one that like my wife and i just still have on rotation to this <laughs> day awesome. like yeah we cool. i mean we had adam and like i i think we're like okay we're all capable musicians like yeah. we can go in here and like we can go you know head to toe with bill well and I, I remember when when you guys were going in to record something and and uh, it might have been that record and you posted online like, should I go with Shape of Punk to Come or should I go with <laughs> Evil Empire? You're talking about your bass tone. <laughs> Evil Empire always trumps Shape of Punk to Come. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't man. remember that, but I believe it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I saw it. Sounds like sure. saw it. Yeah. No, working with them was, like I said, we that was a high school dream. You know, like yeah. Yeah. you remember that band, Shorthanded? Uh, no. They were a tooth and nail band, and they sounded like all, all. It was nice. all, yeah. And well, yeah. My first show was seeing Less Than Jay, Good Riddance, and All. 
And oh, so like, wow. I've just had that, like, and I bought that Operation yeah, Phoenix record, that, yeah. and that sound, I was just like, oh my God, what is this? That's, you know, that's yeah. awesome. So yeah, same boat, man. I, I'm like vicariously living through you guys when, when I wasn't playing punk rock for a while and seeing you guys go out there and get these great tours. I mean, like I said, I, I think last time I saw you was on the Bouncing Souls tour like 10 years yeah. ago. Wow. And um, <laughs> yeah. man, I, yeah, we were just so stoked for you, all of us. And, um, you know, I mean, you guys have jumped around on a, a couple different uh, really solid labels too i mean no i mean with, every uh, yeah uh, adeline and side one and like what was the last one on? no sleep uh, no, no sleep. sleep yeah 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 that yeah. last record that that was supposed to be on side one uh-huh. in like two weeks going to the studio they're like like ty had been trying to they're get like, a hold of expensive. them for like three months well they <laughs> no, they booked it, it like a year they booked, side one booked the studio <laughs> like a year then, in advance yeah and and ty had been trying to get a hold of joseph like like, hey man, like, what do you think of the new songs? For like three months, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then like two weeks going to the studio, Joe was like, <laughs> "Yeah, like, uh, we're not, we're not gonna pay for you to go to the studio." We're like, but you <laughs> we booked have, it. So we like, had the studio time booked, and then direct. So we had two weeks booked, and then right after that, we were supposed to fly straight to Japan to do a tour with Descendants. So it's like we're not gonna cancel. Yeah, we can't cancel no. anything. Like yeah. we have to do this. Yeah, but now side one's not going to pay for it. So what are we going to do? Yeah, we, Ty, had, to, we Ty, had to figure it out. We had Ty, to pay no, for it. Ty and Bill were. You're Bill like, Bill doesn't like, love us that much. <laughs> but, no, Bill was like just tricking. Figure, you know, we'll figure it. He's out. like, we'll do figure it. it out. We'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah. We'll, we'll work we, it out. Yeah, we figured it out, and it uh, came out, and we had a, a blast. That's awesome. We I, had a blast recording see, it. You know, dude, I, I. I bet you did. I, I really wanted to see the um, Descendants reunion show you guys did up here. Um, and that sold out in like fucking five minutes oh, or something. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was a goal. Like, yeah. go play it. Roseland, yeah. like yeah, uh, right. That, that was a that was my uh, goal for yeah. a long time. I mean, with anybody, let and alone, I kind like, of like oh, it, it's gonna be at the Roseland with, with descendants. descendants. Yeah, oh, okay. but like I kind of lost track of that goal. You know, you lose track of the, like yeah. That was like a ch- like play it. You know, Crystal Ballroom or Roseland. Yeah, you know. I mean, and well, you, I lost track. It just kind of like eh, eh. I mean, you do it long enough, and and you wind up crossing off so many things you never thought you would get to do totally. yeah sure. and so when one of those opportunities comes along you're like holy shit we're doing yeah. this dude uh, uh, like, fuck, that was like my first goal yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah um, sure. so i know you guys have got places to be we're just all kind of crammed in the, the back of the turned off van right now um sure. but hey can you talk about what we started this van this band because we're gonna like pay off this you know, countdown to life. Bought this brand new van. This is the countdown. This van? is the countdown, countdown van, bro. Oh so we you bought this miles. van. Um, guess how many? Guess no, how many that, miles. I was getting there. I was I, getting there. I Let tell me him. get there. Let me tell him. So we started the band right, to pay for the van payments. Yeah, that was the whole like. That was it. That was the concept. We're gonna start a pop punk band. We're gonna pay for the van. We yeah. hop. That was it. We that was it tour. for vans. Yeah, we're like we want to. We want to tour. Danny and Adam. They're farting around, Fart, getting, literally getting married, whatever. Farting for like four so years. So, anyways, <laughs> so there's three hundred. Thought I smelled something when I first said. No, no, yeah. it's me. It's remnants. There's three hundred and twenty-five thousand miles wow. on this van. That's yeah. amazing. That's to Mars and, and halfway back. That's she's amazing. She's barely broke. That's not to Mars and halfway back. That's we incorrect. looked it up. We looked it up. I think you're thinking the moon. 
No, yeah, Mars. Mars. That's uh, way different. Fuck Mars. <laughs> that's what I've always said. Hey, this just in. It's a long way. Fuck Mars. Yeah. There's there's no good yeah. venue left move, on Mars. Move, 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 move. I'd take the moon any day. There were some songs on that record where Bill was like, oh, uh, yeah, this is going to be like lunar release. We're like, what does that mean? He's like, that means this record, this song ain't going on the record. <laughs> like, we'll release it on the moon, but that's it. Well, uh, congrats on touring three times as much as me. That's, 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 that's quite impressive. Yeah. That's quite impressive. I remember uh, being at some show you guys did in Eugene that was like uh, Peterson Barn. I think Crosby was in a pop-up band <laughs> called Mascot at the time. I was talking to you guys at that yeah, show, and, and you guys were just crushing it on, on tour, and like me and Cros were doing the, the, the hip-hop thing for a few years at that point, and, and we're just trying to find our way, and I was like, man, like... How are you guys getting on like Warp Tour? How are you getting all this shit? You know, and like, uh, so I mean, you guys were like way ahead of us on the on the touring tip. But uh, once we got our legs, man, it's just been it's just been a grind, you know. Sure. But it's it's something that I mean, I, I it's a love hate thing, but it's it's still great, you know. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so I know you got places to be. I just want to talk about. Uh, Ty said you got some new stuff up the sleeve. Oh, you know, yeah, we saw a little bit on uh, oh, we play the bridge the bridge city stuff. Oh, we didn't um, do any night, yeah. I, yeah, I missed uh, the first, I don't know, 10 minutes of your set. Right? Well, we the, did the, first song, the first song we played was a new one. Yeah. But they yeah, out for the Bridge City stuff. So what's, what's the goal here? Is it just uh, still right and see what happens, taking your time with it? Or yeah, do you have we, a goal in mind? We, we, no, we have like eight. <laughs> we have about eight. But we're just going to keep writing, and, and uh, our goal is to record by November, December. Nice. And then we want it out like April. So we'll see so some, some new Broadway April, calls yeah, next want, year. Mm-hmm. Summer, like summertime. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, that's exciting. Red Scare. Yeah, it's Red on Red Scare. Red Scare. Red Scare. Oh, all right. Yeah, He's hooking all right. Toby's yeah, no, out. yeah. We've been wanting to work. Like, it's it's funny. Like every record has been on a different label. Yeah, but like we've talked about working with Red nomads. Scare for like mm-hmm. a while. Yeah. So we're finally it's finally it. happening. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Uh, are you planning on uh, working with Bill again? No, we. I mean, we did the last two records with Bill, and we know what Bill can do, and yeah. we know what he's gonna do to, to our songs. Yeah, like Bill's gonna make them what Bill would make them. Yeah. You know? But we're, we want to go back to New Tone, and our friend Scott Goodrich, he he's done like he did the first Culture Abuse record, and he's okay. doing like a lot of good records. But that's where we did our first record with. Oh, the self-titled record. Yeah, yeah New Tone with yeah, Willie well, yeah. Samuels. I, but I our, our friends are running that, and they like they worked at the Green Day studio. Like they're yeah. in with you know like what we're trying to do. Nice. Yeah, I I remember that full length too because uh, you know the EP again. We're like, oh, this is a cool little side project these guys are doing. Mm-hmm. And then um, I don't remember if it was finished or if you just brought rough mixes, but it was one of those Agate Hall shows we did back in the day. You're like, dude, check this out. I I'm really excited about this new record and. Uh, e- even that I thought sounded phenomenal. So mm-hmm. that that's that's great that you're teaming up with him. Yeah, again. yeah. He, mean, he's doing. He's like has the the that sound, but like even even better than you know what we did. And when when that record was reissued, was it the same recording or was it mm-hmm. remixed or anything? No, it was the same recording. Okay. Yeah. Same. I got same I got masters. the old ass one, so I didn't. I didn't buy same, it a no, second yeah, time. Yeah, it's the same. Man. Yeah. Huh. Cool. But, yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm really looking forward to the new stuff. Um, it was great to see you guys. Too, um, uh, once again, you are invited to play the DFS show next month if you can fucking 
pull that out of yeah, your ass. Get but some work, uh, yeah. we would love to get you in Eugene at some point. So well, yeah, let's at make some it happen. Point, we'll come to Eugene. Yeah, yeah, we'll make it happen. It's just right now Saturdays are hard for me. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll we'll pick another day. We'll make it happen. Get the whole gang back together. Sure. So, that sounds good. Cool. Well, thanks for taking the time. Hell yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you. All right. Shout out to Broadway Calls. I fucking love you guys. It's really good to see you, and I can't wait to play some more shows again. It's been way too fucking long. Now, the main interview was with Aaron Miklo. I called her on the phone. We talked about everything from our music video together to sobriety, veganism, going backstage with Rancid, the Playboy Mansion, what to do if you get roofied, and a lot more. This is Aaron Miklo. Hey, how's it going? Hi, how are you? Oh, pretty good. Just got home from work, you know? Oh, cool. How's it going with you? Fine. I'm just making a tea, working still. You know, it's, every day is like, you know, you just work till you're all over. <laughs> Lately for me, anyway. Yeah, I know the feeling. It, it comes in waves for me of complete and total dedication and then, like, nothing for a minute, you know? Really? Yeah. I, I got to turn my brain off sometimes where... You know, it's like, oh, I got a three-day weekend. Well, I'm kind of caught up on my projects. Like, you know, I think uh, I'm going to watch a whole season of a TV show. <laughs> oh, my God. I, like, can't turn off anymore, especially, like, now that I'm not really drinking. It's like, when I'm not drinking, I, I just get like, ah, I have to do stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're already rolling, so I guess this is the show. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Hi, show. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Sammy. But, yeah, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. I miss seeing you. That was so fun last year. Yeah, that's actually kind of where I was going to start was, um, you know, kind of give people a little bit of context in that we met through uh, this music video that we worked on together. I was trying to think of where I even came across your page. It must have just been on my Instagram Explore page. And uh, I kind of segment my Instagram. Like I've got my page for the band and I just follow punk bands. I got my page for my Batman collection. You know, I just follow that stuff. No joke. And then, uh, you know, my personal page, honestly, I summarize it by saying kitties and titties. And what I mean by that is <laughs> I, when, I, when I first got Instagram, it's because my wife would be like, show me your phone. She'd be like, oh, you'd like this. And it'd be like Suicide Girls or something. And I'm like, what is this app you keep showing me? And... Uh, and then I found all these great dog memes and cat shit. And, um, and so this is just like my turn off my brain place for entertainment, you know. And then I came across uh, somehow one of your pictures with the Liberty Spike and, you know, the custom clothing, all the DIY shit. And I was like, who is this? Um, <laughs> and like for a long time, I had been wanting to make a music video where I wasn't the, the protagonist, right? And, uh -huh. and for, we had come up with a couple different ideas that would have like a, a female lead. And I made one of them in 2015 and it turned out okay. But, uh, when I saw you, I just put in the back of my mind, like I need to come up with a, an appropriate concept to reach out to her. Like when I find the right project, I was really happy the way that it, uh, came together actually. Yeah. I think the video turned out really cool and it was, it was a really fun shoot day. And especially something where we just fucking winging it. We were planning to shoot a different video, me and the director, uh, Taylor. And 
some logistical confusion happened and we changed the song. And so we filmed me performing this song and then I had to write all of this other stuff for you after the fact. So we weren't even planning on doing that song for something that we just kind of pulled out of our asses. Um, I think that, well, first of all, it was a really good time making it. You know, I remember just, I mean, you, you see pictures of someone, you talk to them online, you know, I, we don't even know what each other talks like, what we act like, you know. And so it was kind of a gamble for both of us. I'm like, yeah, great. I guess I'll try this fucking dude. It's going to come come down from Oregon. We'll see how it goes. Well, yeah, I mean, I, you know, working as a model, I've had so many weird jobs. And, and working with you, you were extremely professional, especially for not having, for having like next to no crew. It was just you and, and your friend that was helping assist. And you guys were more professional than like large sets I've been on where it's just been like complete shit shows. It's like, oh God, I can't even deal with this right now. <laughs> Well, that's good. That's good. Because I remember like, especially a video where the premise is sort of getting dressed (laughs) in a scene. (laughs) And so I was like, trying to make that as comfortable as possible and not nice to meet you. My name's Sam. So we're going to have you getting undressed in here. (laughs) You know, Well, I think like when you're a model, it is what it is. Your body is your job. And I think that having that profession you just get really used to it. And when I started to do more acting stuff, it's really funny with acting stuff. It's, it's very odd. They want you to be more covered up until they want you to be like fully nude. It's very, very strange the way that casting stuff like that works. And like with modeling, it was always just like, okay, like you shoot in your underwear. That's kind of just what it is. That's what people want to look at unless it's like, clothing stuff you know where you're modeling for clothing companies um but when it's more like editorial pieces and stuff for magazines or even nowadays with stuff for social media it's all about like you know showing skin because that's what people want to look at and as you just kind of it just becomes very normal to you and like i actually kind of celebrate it like when i get to do shoot days and stuff it, it just makes me feel really good about myself it's a confidence thing, you know, because there's like, you know, nice lighting and nice cameras and all of that. And it's, it's like an inflated version of yourself. It's not, not fully real. You know, it's it's somebody else's fantasy or imagination or whatever. Yeah. I mean, in a way we're all, especially with social media, using some sort of heightened version of ourselves. But uh, I I think it's awesome that, you know, you've got the balls to get out there and do that. Um, you know, cause a, a lot of people and models are no exception. Um, I, I actually, years ago, I wrote a song called crisis of conscience where I was talking about, like, I consume this media that, you know, also influences negatively the women in my life and, and feeds into their insecurities and stuff like this, you know, and I was like torn in how do we live in this hypocrisy of like well what's empowerment what's exploitation and and you know what's healthy and what's not and um i don't know i just think that it's uh it's cool that you're just owning your own shit and doing it your own way i was glad that we got to uh to do that collaboration thanks yeah i think you know, we're in a time right now where there's really becoming a lot more acceptance because like, you know, fashion magazines for forever and ad campaigns and all of that has always portrayed women a certain way. But we're in a time now where they're really starting to embrace that beauty comes in all different shapes and sizes. And I think that's that's really awesome. You know, like you'll see it on, on the mainstream fashion stuff on runways where they're using uh, bigger models, models that have different 
skin defects um, and things like that. I think, and with so many, you know, influencers, they're all talking about body positivity and mental health awareness and things like that. So I think it's just like a really good time to be alive right now. And like women's equality is really pushing forward in this time. Yeah, I think that, you know, you have an opportunity to carve out your own space and, you know, create dialogue about these things and makes you feel like you're kind of not alone in the way that you're feeling and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, and then too, when you have like a crap day, Instagram has like 10 million filters that kind of make yeah. feel better as horrible as that is. It's like, you know, I mean, it is kind of nice. Like so I sometimes when I don't have makeup on and stuff, but I want to spread a message instead of like spending the time to put a face on, I'll just like put a filter on. It's wonderful. I don't know why, but I think I've just watched too many fucking David Fincher movies or something, but I'm always on that Hudson and that cool lighting. I always have to do that. Um, So one of the things that struck me in meeting you was we were working, but we were also moving around scouting locations and kind of zipping around Hollywood. And we had so many stories, each of us, just about going to shows and how much we loved that. And you were doing the Last Rockers TV segments where you're interviewing all these great bands. How did that come to be? I heard you on another show recently saying you had um, sort of been hired to uh, do somebody else's shows. And it, like, why don't I just do this myself? I mean, how, how did that become the version that we know now in you going, I'm going to go interview bands. I'm going to reach out and make those connections myself. Back in 2011, I did briefly work for my friend's channel. And um, I know that at that point, like, he was having a hard time. He had an outsourced editor, and the editor wasn't getting the videos out. And I know he wanted to do it in kind of a larger way, so he was shopping it to get bought. And it didn't get picked up, so then he started, like, a radio show. And so those interviews never saw the light of day, which is probably a better thing, because I didn't know what the fuck I was doing back then. It was really hard. It was... Can I I ask, was... uh, Who were the subjects? Can you talk about that? I mean, who were your first interviews? I I had interviewed Angry Samoans and uh, Blag from The Dwarves, and I remember the the owner of the channel just... Because I was like, I don't know anything about these bands, and he was like, just wing it. Just, you'll be fine. Oh, no. (laughs) And, And for... For me, I mean, we we did wing it, and it was all right. I, but I don't know. Thank God those never came out. It was never saw the light of day, um, because he we had done a festival uh, in Orange County, and he was like, it was like A unit and B unit. So I, that's why he brought me on because you know it's uh, for me now seeing how it is when you're one person with one cameraman. <laughs> Yeah, doing a festival, there's a limit to how much you can do. So, of course, sometimes it helps to have a second unit, a second interviewer. Personally, like having come from that, that's not the way that I run my show. My show is is very scripted. I do an incredible amount of prep work, work during and post. That's just kind of how I am. I, I'm, I consider myself a very organized person, and I don't. I would rather not do something than half-ass it and maybe have it be 
um, not not up to what I would like it to be. Um, and then when I started my channel, because that was back in 2011, and then kind of around the time I started my channel, I had people approaching me again, asking me to do interviews for them for certain outlets. Um, and then we just couldn't really get it together to make it happen. Um, and I had kind of gotten annoyed by that because I was just like, oh, my God, why is there so many people? It's like too many cooks in the kitchen. Let's just do it. This isn't that hard because I already had camera equipment from, from shooting, um, doing photo shoots with my husband. And we just kind of really needed audio. I had lighting and all that. And I have lots of on-camera experience as a working actress. Um, so I was like, sure, let's do it. How hard could it be? And <laughs> it actually turned out to be... A lot harder than I thought. A lot more work than I thought when I started it. But I, I would say it's it's going pretty well. I learn new stuff every interview I do. I'm constantly just pushing to make my content better. I'm constantly watching YouTube videos to, to learn better editing, better techniques in Photoshop to make my thumbnails better, making the editing more snappy, get to the point. People got places to go <laughs> when the yeah. video comes out and it's finished and just... It's just a constant learning process. I mean, learning learning the gear. I'm the one in the photo pits that shoots the live footage, but uh, for the interviews, my husband is behind the camera assisting, um, which I found is absolutely necessary for an on-camera show. You have to have an assistant. Yeah, definitely. I thought it was interesting what you said about structure and research because uh, sometimes it kind of varies for me. I do tend to do research if it's somebody that I don't personally know uh, or, or don't know well. And I like to see what other interviews they've done. And, you know, a lot of times you get those typical, like, high school newspaper questions all of like, what do you think about the state of music today? And uh, occasionally you'll get a nugget of interesting information that you never heard him say anywhere else, you know. And uh, for the most part, though, I like to keep things sort of improvisational, you know. Like, mm -hmm. I've got a couple bullet points of, you know, things that I didn't want to forget here. But the first couple years of the show, I didn't bring notes ever. <laughs> you know, and... And sometimes, you know, depending on what it is, I still don't. I don't know. I, I really like the natural flow of it. And, and then, like you talked about hitting it hard in post, a lot of podcasts aren't edited at all. And you get all of the, um, well, the thing about that was the third album was kind of, uh, it was the third album, you know? And it's like you get all that 30 seconds of bullshit just to get to the answer that was the third album. And so, like, yeah. I, I cut all that shit out of my show. So, like you said, people got places to be. You know, I want it to flow and stay interesting and engaging. And sometimes I feel like there's not a real connection when I'm just sticking to a script. So, I don't know. I, I feel like, though most places in my life I like to be in full control, sometimes in the interview I just let it happen. Have you ever been, like, surprised and you just kind of let it roll in a different direction? Yeah, like, I mean, when I say my show is scripted, I'll come up with my questions. Um, because, you know, video format is, is very different. I mean, I, all of my videos with the live footage, I try to cap them off around 10 minutes. Yeah. So for 10 minutes, it really has to, you got to get to the meat. You got to get to it quick. And a lot of times, too, in the environments that I'm interviewing these people, 
they don't have a lot of time. There's other media outlets there. Some of the bigger profile celebrities that I've done, um, they only give you literally five minutes. They're yeah. like, you've got five minutes. Their publicist will be standing there telling you, okay, wrap it up. So it's like, that's why I do the scripted questions because it's like, they're the jumping off points to cut out all the bullshit when you have a very limited amount of time with somebody and it gets to the meat. And then from there, a lot of times we'll enter like organic conversations um, and letting the conversations go where they go. But in the times where I didn't have scripted questions and I kind of just winged it, oh my God, it really did not go that well. So I, I learned that you know, that lesson the hard way that it's like, Oh my God, these questions need to be scripted. They need to be memorized. I mean, that's a great point. It's driving the interview. So that's a great point that, um, you know, in this long format setting, it's a lot different. Whereas I've done backstage, (laughs) you know, I've done a lot of sit down interviews that are two hours long, but I've also done those backstage interviews where it's like, we have 15 minutes. It was like, Oh, how am I going to cram an hour into this you know and uh that is a different situation for sure i have literally had publicists tell me you have five minutes yeah <laughs> like, fuck. like okay, five, five minutes okay i think i could squeeze my four questions into five minutes yeah you're like, you just all right. have to you gotta move it along we get get three minutes of content out of this all right i mean i don't shave off too much I, but it's just i just kind of try to make them a little bit snappier and sometimes the artists say something they don't mean to say and they'll ask me as a courtesy like hey can you please just cut that out you know stuff like that it's really like a collaboration of like building rapport with the artists and keeping them and their publicists happy now just as a fan who are some of the ones you were most excited to do like all of them like i'm just i'm such a fan of like all the artists i have on my channel obviously some of the ones that were a little bit harder to get like travis barker was was one that i'm just such a huge fan of his and that was a very difficult interview to get it was very high pressure it was great Um, by the way it was great thank you that was like it was very intimidating um and that's a situation where again i rehearsed really really heavily for it because when you have those outside things like nerves and there's all these other people watching and there's all this stuff going on and you have a very limited amount of time your questions better fucking be rehearsed and like because of those other outside things there were some questions i had rehearsed that i didn't even get to ask because i was just like ah yeah understandably so that that's really painting a, a clear picture because I mean we're we're both interviewers here, but I'm I'm so not in the habit of oh here's our publicist here's all the other people who are also fighting for their five minutes just kind of uh, cattle call everybody in the same room that's uh, that's a totally different environment. <laughs> That's not well, very... and it was even limited. It's it's limited because, like, obviously, you know, artists don't want to be there all night doing press. So, like, of course, everybody reaches out at the festival to get an interview with um, that person, Travis, for instance, because it's his festival and, you know, he's a big celebrity. And they can only grant so many people time for interviews because it's like he doesn't want to be there all night. He's got other stuff to do and he wants to hang out with his friends. Yeah. But he was really sweet. I've known travis i don't i've been seeing him around for the past seven years the first time we met was when we were in psycho white's music video for six feet underground um that tim armstrong directed nice 
Um, and every time I've seen him, he's always just been so sweet. And just through mutual friends, we've always seen each other. So it was it was really cute when we did that interview. Like his publicist introduced, uh, it's like, okay, this is Aaron. Um, she's going to be your first interview, and he's like, oh, I already know her, and that was cool. Like, like it made yeah. it a little bit easier, but I was still really fucking nervous. <laughs> well, that's nice that he made the effort to even say that and put you at ease. And well, he jo- you know he jokes around. He's he's a cool guy, and his actual persona is very close to his persona that you see on tv and the internet and whatever he's just a really humble person and um really kind to his fans and and press and just everyone he comes into contact with i've I've never seen him be rude to anybody so i had to uh pick up on you mentioned tim and we had talked about rancid before when i met you but you have a little bit of of history with them you've known them a long time right yeah, I've known Tim for like 13 years. Uh, I met him, the first time I met him, I went and saw Rancid in New York City. I was in high school still, uh, and he was going on stage uh, with one of the opening acts. And I was just like, oh my God, and I was such like, I was just fangirling. I was like, yeah. And this is like back in like 2006. I was about to graduate high school. I was like 17 or 18 at the time. And um, he, he's going on stage and I like run over and the, the, security's like no no you can't and he sees me and I like just made the motion for an autograph because this is back like before smartphones I had like a fucking sharpie yeah hey <laughs> I still carry a sharpie <laughs> um, and he was like he motioned that for me to come over and he told the security guard it was okay and um, I just told him I was like I flew here from Florida to see you I paid like a hundred dollars on eBay for this ticket <laughs> um, and it was so cute he was like are you coming to the show tomorrow night and I was like no I paid so much because the tickets were like face value twenty dollars and I paid a hundred which is, you know, it was a lot for me. And he's like, are you coming to the show tomorrow night? And I was like, no, I paid so much for this ticket. I could only afford one. And he's like, let me put you on the list. Nice. And I was like, I was like, what? And, and then I arrived the next night and they gave me, um, like a fancy wristband. And I was like, what's this for? And they're like, oh, it's for backstage. And that was like the first time I had ever had a backstage wristband or experience. And I was just like, I was alone. You know, I had gone to New York with my mom the hotel was around the corner from the, where the show was. So we just, you know, she was like, okay, have fun. And yeah, I went the next night and just hung out backstage. It was really awkward because like everybody knew each other and I was just kind of like standing there like, uh, yeah, you know, and then like we were hanging out in the dressing room and I remember like this, this guy being all like drunk and like really aggressively trying to hit on me. And I was like going over to the Tim trying to be like, oh, save me. But it's just funny looking back on that because like, just being so naive, not really realizing how special that situation was. Like, it was really cool, and it was really like, oh, my God. But I was also, like, really new to just going to shows in general, so I didn't really realize how amazing and special that was at the time. Yeah, that was different than my <laughs> high school show experiences. <laughs> <laughs> um, and for anyone out there wondering, no, I never hooked up with Tim. We're just friends because a lot of people say that about me and I think it's really crappy and it's not true at all. So, Well, and honestly, like, who the fuck cares? Why Why are you worried about that? You know, like, if if you're listening to that story and you're like, oh, yeah, but did they? I'm like, think about, like, how when you went to a show in high school, this band you really look up to, and the security guy was going to be like, get the fuck out of here. And the guy not only gives your autograph, but is like, oh, you can't come tomorrow? 
let me hook you up. Like that's the coolest shit ever. <laughs> you know, like who fucking ca- like people get caught up yeah. in the wrong shit to me like that. That as a fan, like th- that's why you and I got along from day one was because instantly it was very clear we're both huge fans of the music, and that's why we're related to music. Yeah. To this day, after all these years, we still just love going to see our favorite bands at shows, getting the albums when they come out, and that's the best part of life, you know? Um, yeah. Before I get too excited and up my own ass, um, the <laughs> last the last tangent uh, from that, I would say, um, so we have Tim, plus I mentioned the I Don't Care video that we worked on with Taylor, and then, uh-huh. uh, and then Tim and Taylor worked on the Pick It Up Scott documentary. I saw that you made it to the premiere of that. How was that? It was great. It was um, actually like because of you at Back to the Beach 2018, that festival out uh, out in Orange County, California, that had all the ska bands. Taylor was there interviewing people for his for the ska movie, which is out now. Um, and because of your music video, because he was the director editor on that, he recognized me from staring at my face while he was editing, (laughs) (laughs) I guess. Um, and so he came up to me and was like, Hey, I, you know, he introduced himself. Um, and then it's like, Hey, I have all these videos of you on my computer at home. Yeah, pretty much. He's (laughs) like, I'm editing, I'm editing his video. And I was just, you know, we just kind of said, Hey, nice to meet you. And then from, from that, we just kind of kept in touch over social media and then when the movie was coming out, he had reached out to me and he's like, hey, do you want to film some B-roll for the film uh, to supplement the, the story about Rancid? Oh, I forgot there's that scene where you play in Out Come the Wolves. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, <laughs> we filmed that in our house. And, you know, obviously with, with editing, like I had given way more than, than what was actually used because what was used was like a half a second. Yeah. But that's just how, that's how movies go. They have to keep them timely because they've got endless amounts of footage. But yeah, so he had asked to, to film some B-roll, which we gladly did. Um, and that was it. That was my tiny little part in the movie, which was really cool. That's funny. I forgot all about that when I even mentioned it. I just heard you talking about Tim, and I was like, oh, shit, pick it up, documentary. I totally forgot you were <laughs> in it. I only saw it once. I'm sorry. Um, no, it's okay. I mean, it was literally like a half a second. It's like if you blinked, you would have missed it. <laughs> but, you know, that's just how movies go, too. It's like they got to keep it timely. They have to keep it interesting. Uh, I thought that was great, though. I felt like uh, all warm and fuzzy. I was like, oh, look, these two people that uh, – uh, worked on my project are now working together on their project. That's cool. Yeah, that we met through you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just inserting myself into that movie any way that I can. I was so. Oh, uh, you're so funny. <laughs> well, you're not ska. Like, you have, like, you're, like, the least ska. I'm not even ska. I'm punk, but Rancid is, like, ska punk, so they brought me in on that. <laughs> oh, I'm a huge ska fan. Me, me and Taylor came up together, so. Well, you're a ska fan, but, yeah. like, you, you, like, are the, you have the least ska aesthetic. It's true. It's true. I'll, I'll have to. Uh, I'll have to send you a ska song I had Taylor play on once. But yeah, I've made very few of those. I'm not happy enough. I, I like. I like the angry songs. Me too. Me too. Um, have you heard um, lately? I've, I've been listening to the Exploited lately. Have you? I've just. I'm obsessed with uh, the song Fuck the System because the beginning of it, Wadi is just literally yelling for like 45 seconds, and it's the funniest thing ever. You know, I had that record in high school, but I don't, I, I never got super into them, so I don't know. 
I love them. They're so angry. I love them so much. <laughs> yeah, my go-to for that kind of shit is sick of it all. That, that's what I was listening to on my way here from work. I, honestly, I was mad jealous that you got to talk to Lou on your show. I thought that was awesome. Yeah, he's so nice. I was actually... I was just in New York this past weekend, and we were going to try to meet up, but then it was Memorial Day, so he had stuff to do with his family, because we were only there for such a short time. And But he did recommend that really cool, like, tiki bar called Otto's Shrunken Head, which is in New York City, and the drinks are very strong. I actually had to give it back to the bartender and, and ask her to make it less strong. <laughs> um, and they have, like, cool bands that play in the back there, too. Well, it's nice that uh, you guys kept in touch. Do you feel like you actually form relationships with a number of these bands? I actually do. And I, I don't know why. I, I feel really, really fortunate that it happens that way. Um, and I think it's really cool that it's like they want to be my friend. It's like, oh, you like me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I kind of nerd out on it. But it, it is really, it's, it's nice. It's flattering that they want to have a friendship with me after the interview. But that, it doesn't happen with all bands. Um, only some of them, and I feel like it's just the, the ones where, I don't know, maybe we have stuff in common and just the vibe, or who the hell knows why. I don't know why, but I, it feels wonderful. Yeah, I, th <laughs> I think that stuff's great. You know, occasionally I'll do an interview with somebody I didn't know. The interview will go even long, and it was great, and then we'll stop recording, and, you know, we'll talk for another half hour. It's like, wow, that was great. Like, I can't believe that person actually saw something in me that, just wanted to hang out even after an extra long show. That's nice. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to ask you about something you posted about the other day. You went, it looked like, a few years in a row to the Playboy Mansion. Uh -huh. How did that come about? That's pretty cool. I had done a job, a modeling job, and I met one of the other models on that job. And then she was like, hey, I'm having this party. Come to this party. And then I met her other friend. And her other friend was later like, oh, I go to Playboy Mansion parties all the time. Submit your photo to Jenny at the mansion, send a hard copy photo um, and tell her you want to go to the parties. And I did. And I was coming back from Mexico. So when we went over the border and switched my phone back on, I had a, a message from the woman, Jenny at the Playboy mansion. And she's like, Hey, do you want to come to our midsummer night stream party tomorrow night? Uh, let me know. And the party was so fun. That was one of their biggest parties of the year. Yeah. Like if um, I'm not like a huge follower or anything, but I know enough to know that, that is a big deal to be invited to that. Yeah, it was really fun. And again, this is where it was just like totally normal. Like the wardrobe, the attire was lingerie. And it was just like, okay, cool. No big deal. Whatevs. <laughs> I go out like that all the time. Yeah, the most awkward part of like being in the lingerie was because unless you were like a celebrity, you can't drive up to the mansion. There was a parking structure <laughs> uh, that was like a mile or so away and they had buses there. And you would get, the wristband situation was like crazy. They had, you'd get a wristband, because the check-in was at the parking structure, you would get a wristband that had a computer chip in it. They would scan you in. Wow. And then you'd get on the bus, and then when you'd get off the bus at the mansion, they would scan your bracelet again. But the most awkward part would be, it's like, I mean, it wasn't so bad when you were arriving, because everybody was in their underwear, and everybody was waiting for the buses, but at the end of the night, when you'd be going back to the because you weren't allowed to call taxis or anything to the mansion either you had to go back to the parking structure yeah. unless you were a celebrity and yeah it was like kind of awkward it's like you know late and you're standing there waiting for your cab or your friend to pick you up or whoever like in your underwear because that the early parties 
used to have a coat check, which was wonderful. But then kind of like, I think this was around the time when maybe Playboy started having financial difficulties. So they started kind of clipping some of those, those things like the coat check. And so everyone's just, uh, pouring out into the streets, titties out with their microchip (laughs) going, uh, anybody want to give me a ride to my car? Oh God, they were really fun parties. I, I went to parties there from like, 2008 to 2014 um and it was it was a lot of fun they were really good parties the only one that wasn't fun i got i got roofied at one of them once, oh god which was really not fun oh my god it was awful were you with someone who was looking out for you or well so it was such it was so weird my body's always been really good about detecting something wrong like it was always open bar there at the, the mansion parties so i never accepted drinks from anybody yeah and I would always keep my hand over my drink, too. I would never set my drink down because it's like there's, you know, it's open bar. Yeah. And there were a lot of people that they said it was rumored that it was the bartenders that would do it. But I just remember, like, I was sitting in the grotto and I was drunk. But then all of a sudden I started feeling, like, really, really sick. So I went over to the, the bathroom that was closest to the grotto, which was a multi-person bathroom, thankfully. And I remember going into one of the stalls and I, I just, like, threw up. And then I came out of the stall and I just fainted and oh, i remember God. all these girls around me like are you okay are you okay and i was like no i'm not okay something somebody put something in my drink <laughs> like the ramon song yeah and i remember telling them i was like please go get security which they did and thankfully a guy i was dating at the time they security called me a cab up to the mansion you know like they didn't send me back to the parking structure thankfully yeah. and I, I i couldn't even call one myself like the security was like, do you have someone you can call that can help you? So I called the guy I was dating at the time and he kind of talked to the guy on the phone. They managed to get me a cab because this is Ubers and Lyfts before smartphones. Yeah. But, you know, like I remember he was talking to me on the phone cause he didn't want me to fall asleep and have the cab driver take advantage of me. And he said, when I got to his place, he opened the door and I just like fell out. My body was like a noodle. Jeez. And he said, I just kept saying to him, like, I just want to feel something because you, you don't feel anything. And the next day or the next two days after the next day was like the worst hangover I've ever had in my entire life. I've never felt anything like that. And so the following day I went to the doctor and they took blood and they said, yeah, I had definitely been roofied. They found roof in all my system. Man, that's fucked. Oh my God. It was, it was awful. Like, and, and the doctor had told me the only reason why I could remember some sort of anything to get myself out of that situation was because I threw up immediately after ingesting the drug. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. You were smart to go straight to the bathroom. Yeah. I mean, I was really, really lucky that my body was just like, Whoa, what's happening? (laughs) Reject, get it out. Yeah. That's, that's fucking rough. That was crazy. It was such a crazy experience. But it's like, check check that one off the list. Ever been roofied? Yeah. Jeez. I mean, I don't know if that's like a badge of pride thing, really. But um, I feel like it's a good story. I mean, for, for your first time to get roofied at the Playboy Mansion, it was very traumatic. Yeah, that's definitely a much more um, glamorous story than it could have been. That's for sure. Yeah, I was I was just really, really lucky that I had good instincts that night. The instincts to go to the bathroom instead of passing out in the grotto. Would, who the fuck knows would have taken advantage of me. Yeah. I was really lucky that night. There's been a lot of people out there that have, you know, been, been slipped drugs and have not been nearly as lucky as I was. So on that note, you've been talking a lot about sobriety lately. 
And uh-huh. that was something that we talked about a little bit in the past. Just It piqued my interest when you mentioned it before, because I'm straight edge and I come from a family of recovered addicts and you know, it's, it's definitely affected a lot of people in my life. And, um, uh, I just saw that you, uh, were speaking on that earlier today. So I thought I would ask, um, you know, how that's going for you. It's a journey right now. It's not something that I'm trying to commit to full time. I mean, for me, what started it was that I was just, my workload was too much, you know, and, and with having such an aggressive workload, it's just being like stressed out and having anxiety and depression and just, just being overwhelmed. And so, I mean, this isn't the first time that I've, you know, decided to cut alcohol. Um, I've done it a few times before, just usually again, when things just get really too much. I mean, I see a lot of people, myself included, I used to self-medicate. People think, Oh, I'm really stressed out or I'm having these emotional issues. I need a fucking drink. And what, what I've come to learn is that that makes it a lot worse especially, you know, if you want to have good mental health and, and really get your things done, if, if that's what's overwhelming you, alcohol is not the answer. It actually makes it worse. Yeah. So in the music industry, in the alternative community, it's like I feel like a lot of people around us, they're either sober or they're like, you know, have a substance abuse problem. I feel like as an alternative person, it's like you don't have that healthy relationship with alcohol that a lot of people do have where you can just have a drink or two and, you know, that's enough. You know, a lot of people in our community are are binge drinkers and it's it's sad. It's sad to see that people aren't living the lives they want to have because of, of substance abuse. Well, yeah, I mean, to a lot of people, you know, punk rock is getting as hammered as you can and fucking shit up, you know, and that's and that's it. You know, it is, and and oh, I did that for a lot of years, and it is fun for a minute, and then you get older, and it's like this is not cute anymore, and this is not the direction I want my life to have. If you are active in the punk rock community, or for myself, also in the hip hop community, there are just expectations. You know, I remember even all the way back in high school, people would see me with my big red mohawk spikes and my punk band and if i would mention that oh i i heard about this thing called straight edge i didn't know that that's i didn't know there was a name for me that's that's cool and they'd be like wait you know you never what but no but you would totally i'm like what no that's you know or or like backstage on the rap tours everybody's lighting up what they got i'm like i'm gonna take a walk and call my wife and i'll see you in an hour and um (laughs) It's so weird for you to not do it. You know, people look at it as so foreign to not do it. I mean, I don't think so. Lately, I don't know if it's just the people that I'm around, but I feel like lately, like at least here in California, most of my friends backstage at shows, a lot of musicians, they're sober or they're not partying. Or if they are, they have like a beer or two beers. You know, it's people like, I, I'm starting to feel like I know more people that are sober than they're not. And maybe it's just because of my recent sobriety or like drinking less is that surrounding myself with those people? Because I, I do know people and they're just like balls to the wall, like pounding drinks, doing cocaine, smoking weed. And I'm just like, ugh, I don't want to be around this. Go away. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you do your thing, but 
it's just like, I don't want to be around this. I don't want to be, I'm getting too old for this. I don't want to be around cocaine. I don't need to be around shots and people throwing up and like passing out. Like in New York city, we went out and it was just like, you know, one of our friends couldn't keep his shit together. And he was like falling asleep on the toilet and the bar was telling him he needs to get out. It's like, it's like, come on, dude, we're too old for this shit. Come on. It's like, pull it together, man. As as someone who, you know, I don't get sick that often. So, you know, I might go like five years without throwing up. And then if I see someone who's in that state at a show and I'll be like, well, that's just part of your like weekly routine, isn't it? Like, that's just how you live. That's fucking crazy. (laughs) I can't imagine putting myself through that all the time. Well, I think it comes from like, I mean, I'll be honest, like, before I started my channel, my channel is what gave me real purpose and and what made me kind of, you know, put in more sober time. I mean, it, it gives you purpose. You have something to do with your life. And I, I, from my personal experience, when I used to drink really heavily and dabble in drugs and stuff, it's because I was like, what am I doing with myself? You know, you, I didn't have direction. I didn't, you know, I was working as a model and an actress, but you know, sometimes the work wasn't always regular. And so in those downtimes, it's like, what's my purpose? You know, you're just sitting around waiting to be hired. And since starting my channel, it's endless amounts of work, but it's, it's very fulfilling. You know, it's like, I'm doing all of it. I'm the director, the producer, the face of the channel I'm the editor. And it, it's, it's just given purpose, supporting the scene, sharing these bands' stories. I don't know. And I think, I think people that do do that, it's because they don't have direction. They don't have purpose. They don't know what to do with their free time. And that makes sense to me. I mean, I'm a person who, if I get in a rut, you know, I eat my feelings, you know. I still, I have, I have those tendencies, you know. I still have those issues, even though I've channeled them in different directions. And if anything, I feel that my greatest gift in life is I've always known who I was and what I wanted to do with myself, you know? Yeah. And so I can always focus on the next three records down the line and tours and videos and whatever comes along with that. That's just always been my trajectory. So I do look at people who kind of floundering and they, oh, like, oh, what's my major? I've been here for two years. I don't know. And it's like, oh, I guess I'm going to get married. I don't know. We've been together long enough, right? You know, and and just I look at people's life decisions and I think, how? And so maybe that explains part of the thing that I don't get is like when I'm going, how are you making these decisions? How are you floating through life like this? Well, that's why they're self-medicating because they feel the same way. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think people do it for all kinds of reasons. I mean, uh, for a long time I did it because I had a really fucked up childhood and you don't really know how to process those feelings, you know? And so it's, it, you know, it, people do it for various reasons. And I think it's like really coming into your own, working on yourself, working on your issues and getting really healthy mentally and physically, you know, it gives you purpose and it, you know, you find the reasons. I mean, don't get me wrong, like, I don't think... I don't know. I don't know what the future holds. I don't want to set it now. I don't know if I'll be a permanently sober person. But for right now, I'm really enjoying it. And over the weekend in New York, I had a couple drinks. I kept it low-key. But, yeah, I I felt the difference. I didn't feel wonderful after it. You feel what it does to your body. But I I don't think I'll ever want to go back to abusing the way that I used to. You know, it's it's hard because what happens is, like, when you first start to get sober after heavily abusing drugs or alcohol – it's, it's difficult. I remember after a couple years ago when I really 
was just trying to, to better myself. Like around the time I started my channel, when my channel wasn't quite as active, the withdrawals from alcohol after drinking so heavily for, you know, for such an extended period and drinking like nearly every day very heavily because you feel like shit when you wake up. So, okay, it's like when's the time to start drinking again so I can stop feeling shitty. The withdrawals from it were just so intense because it's also the emotional withdrawal that it's like you really have to face all of your problems. Yeah. <laughs> Which can, can be really a lot. It can be a lot for people. It was a lot for me. And not really feeling like I had the support from it. I kind of had to do it on my own. Like, my husband didn't really know how to deal with it. He, he you know, wasn't really there in the capacity that I needed him to be. Um, you know, I, I don't really have relationships with my family. My mother wasn't really either there for it. So it was, it was hard to do it alone. And what, um, what you're saying about withdrawals, too, is very real. I had a friend who, you know, he was going through a, a divorce and tried to quit cold turkey and uh-huh. it gave him seizures and um he had to go to the hospital and they told him like if you go back on you're dead you've done your time you need to like kick this now or you know you're in bad shape and yeah. uh, you know that was a dude who always had a whiskey glass in his hand when we hung out and you know it was just like a huge wake-up call that was like okay it said time to change and not everybody's that way but uh you know that that was the image that popped into my head when you said that was uh how real that that can be when someone's trying to make that change yeah i mean i i'm really grateful it was it was never that severe for me i think just because i was started young and started the sober path young but i remember that night I had gone to an AA meeting and personally AA meetings are not for me. Um, I don't want to knock it for anybody that that works for, but I've been to lots of them and I just, I don't connect with them. It's really, I just, I I just don't, Oh man, I I really can't. I'm not down with it. It feels like church to me. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That, that element uh, is definitely a make or break it sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it really works for a lot of people, and I have friends that they just really love it, and that's wonderful for them. But for me, I, I did it through just my own willpower and my own drive to to meet the goals that I have. But that night, getting home from that AA meeting, I think it was like two days sober after drinking for, for months almost every day, um, you know, and drinking to the point where I'd wake up hungover every day, which was horrible, again, because not, not really having that direction, because this is before my channel really got started, um, when it was still coming up, and, like, being, getting home from that meeting, and just being on the, like, laying on the hardwood floors of my office, and just, like, the fetal position, just bawling my eyes out, and, because my body, like, physically hurt, you know? yeah. So it was terrible, but it's like, if you can come out on the other side of that, you're much stronger for it. And those experiences are there, which I think is important to have had them because it makes you wise and, you know, it makes you remember those things and not want to be back there again. Yeah. I feel like you you learn the most from your losses, you know, like if I'll bring it back to Batman, you know, why do we fall (laughs) so we can learn to pick ourselves up, you know, and, uh, it's so true. Every good record I've made is because I made a bad record and I learned how to do it differently, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Personally, even though I talk about being straight edge and that stuff and occasionally we'll, we'll write about it, I don't like wear X's at shows and shit like that because I don't even want to like 
get into it. I express myself when I sing songs about it or talk with my friends or whatever, but um, it's not like I want to be out there, you know, starting shit. You know, it's the last thing I want. I mean, like, I have a day job full-time now for the first time in years, and you'll notice I don't have my fucking purple-green hair anymore. I don't have my <laughs> shit... I don't have my shit spiked up six inches anymore. It's like, I just want to do my thing and fly under the radar, you know? Like, I'm not trying to invite any extra shit, which I feel like a lot of times it's just a controversial thing to have an opinion on. But um, uh, uh, speaking of one of those, are you still vegan? How's that going? Yeah. That's cool. I just regret not doing it sooner. Yeah. Um, (laughs) It's great. I'm vegan, gluten-free, and I mean, I cheat I cheat sometimes on the gluten, but whenever I do, I feel shitty. It's usually when we're traveling. It's like, eh. My wife does um, that, tr- too, yeah. Is she? She's vegan or she's gluten-free? Uh, she's gluten-free because she's got uh, rosacea. She- it's a skin condition, and um, it uh, it really affects that. But, you know, once in a while, if it's like we're at a family get-together or, like, you know, we go out for dessert one night, it's like, I'm eating that fucking cake. And then the next day, it's always like, why did I do that? Yeah, I mean, that's the nice thing is, like, when you, being vegan, it's so weird when you go to a lot of those restaurants. They also are most of the time also gluten-free, which is wonderful. That's cool. Um, But it's weird how, when I think about, like, the stuff I used to eat, it's like, oh, Jesus Christ. I I did it for health, and I I like now that it, you know, it benefits the environment and, you know, not not killing animals and eating them anymore. Um, But I did it by accident I was reading this nutritionist book and she had kind of just suggested you know reducing the amount of meat you're eating and reducing it to nighttime um, because it's easier on the digestive system because she was into those practices that are all about focusing on your digestive tract for overall health and like keeping your digestive tract clean and how that will affect your energy levels and your skin your hair your weight and just overall well-being and I had started to reduce the amount of meat I was eating like she had suggested and then I like my energy levels just skyrocketed and immediately like within a week I had lost like 10 pounds and it was just amazing then I just kind of stuck with it and fell in love with it and it was hard at first because you have to reteach yourself how to eat and how to feed yourself yeah especially when traveling when you're not like in the comforts of your own routine it's like what the fuck do i eat especially when you're in like a foreign country or something but once you get the hang of it and you have the knowledge of kind of where to get your protein sources and you know the types of foods to eat the types of foods that have milk in them like milk is like snuck into everything yeah you don't realize that until you start reading labels it's like sugar it's just like why is there sugar in my bread you know it's in fucking everything yeah, and that's the thing is like it's it's weird because it's like once you're vegan, it's amazing how much healthier everything is. Not just because you're eating plants and vegetables, but with a lot of vegan foods, they're not highly processed or have all those added sugars that you know non-vegan foods do. So I look at it as an aspiration, as like a goal, because I am very much like a carnivore with a guilty conscience. I'll I'll put it that way. Because, like, you know, growing up, I was always just, like, very plain meat and potatoes guy. And I... My family, too. It's like, it's just what society tells you. Yeah, but, like, I'm talking never had a condiment, would not eat the side of vegetables, get that shit off the top of my burger, you know, (laughs) and, and I never grew out of it. And so, 
here I am at 33 and I'm hearing stories like yours. I'm hearing stories like my friend Carnage. We went on tour last year and he had lost 75 pounds going vegan. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's great. And I love animals. I'm a big dog and cat person and I hate that I support that industry with my money. And yet I don't like anything. And so I've come across more and more. I, mean, I remember you saying that. Yeah. You're, like, ah, you're a picky eater. <laughs> yeah, big time. And, and, and now I feel really lucky that we're at a time where I used to make fun of my vegan roommate, you know, like 10, 15 years ago. Like, what the fuck is quinoa? You know, like, yeah, what are you eating? I used to eating? stop at vegans too, and I now like, I am one. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what are you eating? You know, and, uh, or like, oh, you eat so much fucking tofu. That shit smells. Get out of here, you know. And, uh, I'm like, don't you want a steak? Come on, have a steak with me. And and I was just a dick about it. But now there's so many meat substitutes, you know, those uh, corn brand or like Morningstar or, uh, uh, you know, there's so, there's so many of these great things that now I'm finding I can eat. And so I'm like, I would say three meals a week having vegetarian meals. And honestly, I did lose like eight pounds doing that, even yeah. partially. And that wasn't like the goal for me, but it was like, oh, cool. I didn't like this gut that was growing here. That's nice. Um, <laughs> it was a, it was just a little bonus, but I, I'm, I consider it something I'm going to keep striving for. You know, my wife has a lot of uh, history in her family of breast cancer. And so yeah. we got to be careful of the meat substitutes that have a lot of soy in them because they raise estrogen levels and stuff. So we're trying to find that balance of the things that, um, you know, are good for both of us that don't, like, I've never had a salad in my entire life. That makes me, like, sad and disgusted to hear. Well, <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's awful. That's so awful. No, I, I get it. It's fucking weird. And I'm it's fucking... not weird. It's just incredibly unhealthy. Like, leafy greens have so many vitamins and nutrients in them, and they're also full of fiber. And the fiber is, one, what makes you feel full, and two, what cleans your body out from all the toxins and, and shit that you get in your body from, you know, the air and, and pollutants and, and preservatives that are in packaged foods. Ugh. And see, logically, I can appreciate that, but like... But you don't want to eat it. But you're eating like grass, basically, to me. That's, you know, like, if you look at a sign and there's a bunch of different language translations, your eye is drawn to the ones that you can read, you know? If I'm looking at a list of food, I don't even see that shit as food. My eyes just go to the, and the chicken. Uh -oh. You know, no, like... <laughs> okay, you gotta peep my Instagram stories. I made a highlight on my Instagram of vegan. And it's, I'm, I do that because I want to, I used to think that way because people, they don't have the knowledge. They're not knowledgeable about it. So it's like, when a vegan eat salads? Yes, I do eat a lot of salads, but they're like yummy salads with really yummy dressings and all kinds of like loaded stuff on them because you have to get protein. Like it happens a lot that when we travel, um, to foreign countries or whatever, you, you'll get a protein deficiency because of stuff like that. They think, oh, just throw some potatoes at her or pasta. And it's like, that's not where vegans get their protein sources. Like, you do need protein. I mean, we are in a very protein-centered society where people are overdoing their protein. You really don't need that much. But you do need it. Or else, you know, that's when you kind of get all wafy and, like, sickly looking. Like, last, last year when I went to Italy, it was like there was nothing for me to eat. 
And if there was, it was just pasta, which there's no protein in that. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I had taken a picture. My husband, Joe, was like, he was here in LA. I went with a girlfriend and he was like, you look scary skinny. You need to eat. And I was like, I know I'm starving here. There's no food for me. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's how I would feel. My wife loves traveling. She's gone to Europe. I didn't go. And she's like, Oh, you got to come out there. I was like, I'm afraid though. Like, how am I supposed to tell people in another language that like, yeah, but I don't eat half of this shit. <laughs> I got to order it all fucked up because I'm a five-year-old. That's <laughs> like, I was like, what am I going to do? Just carry a backpack of granola bars? Like, because I, because I only ate part of my dinner. Like, I'm so. No, go look at uh, for you and for everyone else out there listening. There's a highlight on my Instagram page, and I am trying to change the narrative of what non-vegans think vegans eat. And you'll look at it, and it's like a lot of really similar foods to what you eat. It's just modified in a way that's healthier and less difficult on your digestive system. <laughs> Well, Lord knows I have problems there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's where that's where bellies come from, you know. It's I don't want to get real and gross here, but what do you think that is? <laughs> it's ice cream, man. I tell you, that's what it is. That's what it is. Well, uh, shit. I don't know how we got so far off on food, but um, this was a great talk. Part of the reason I wanted to have you on was just that. Um, you know, I like your interviews and, um, you know, another part was just, uh, it's been like a year since I've actually seen you in person. So fuck it. Let's chat. <laughs> yeah. I've been seeing you. It's been, it's, I mean, we always keep in touch on social media, so it doesn't feel like it's that long, but because, you know, we live in different places. Like I haven't actually seen you in a while. <laughs> well, I'm going to try to fix that. We're booking the tour for dead fucking serious right now. And oh, yay. Um, we're trying to get down to L.A. We just don't really have the, the, the contacts. So we've been hitting places up. So hopefully I'll, hopefully I'll get down there and see you this summer. Oh, uh, actually, speaking of DFS, right before I called you, I, I got an email that I want to share. I haven't told anybody yet, but I think by the time this airs, it's, uh, they drop every two weeks. I think by the time this airs, we will have dropped this little nugget here and that is that our album is being mixed and mastered at the blasting room and oh that's so cool yeah and that's like a lifelong dream of mine and and i've had a master stuff for me before but to actually have the mix my stuff was like a real honor and um so i get an email from jason livermore right as i was firing up the computer to uh record this and it said uh i almost got pulled over blasting your shit and he just put it with like a million exclamation points, like energy. And uh, I thought it was, <laughs> I thought it was funny that um, dude just made the the final mix today. That was like, you, you know, you send in your notes and whatever. So it was like the third, the third and final mix. And yet he wanted to blast our shit in the car on the way home. I thought that was really cool. <laughs> that is really cool. Yeah, nice guy, Jason Livermore. That's cool. Normally, I play a song from uh, my interview guest, but um, unless you've got some secret career that we haven't talked about yet, um, maybe I'll just have to oh drop a maybe I'll just have to <laughs> drop a track from the DFS record at the end. Yeah, it's like, have you seen those those videos of me doing punk rock karaoke? 
Like, people think I was trying to be serious on those. Like, oh. they are such a train wreck. One of them, I literally fell off the stage, and that was not on purpose. <laughs> I think I did forever ago, but I, I don't remember them. The other one, my friend Nathan from Foggy Molly had jumped up on stage to do a duet with me, and he was there first, and so the fucking sound guy didn't have my monitor on, so I just looked like a complete moron, because I'm like, I uh, can't hear anything. Is my mic on? Like, hello? See, I guess... But if you see, but if you came up playing punk shows, you would know how to operate in a, a situation where the sound is fucking terrible. <laughs> no, but like I couldn't hear. I don't. I don't know if he didn't have my microphone on or it was. I don't. I'm not a musician, so yeah. I don't even know. It's like the monitor that makes it that when you're on the stage, you can hear, right? Yeah, yeah. But I'm like, I I consider myself so fortunate that I grew up playing like shitty basement shows and like VFWs and stuff because now I'm the easiest sound check ever when I'm on tour. It's just like. Can I hear the drums? Cool. I don't care if I can hear me. I'll do what I need to do, and you do your job out there. <laughs> like, <laughs> I appreciate like having done punk rock karaoke like three times. I appreciate musicians so much. I mean, I already did, but even more because it's like it is really hard. It's really fucking hard. I'm like not a musician at all, and it's it's incredibly difficult to be on stage and like remember lyrics and like. Just all of the things. I mean, all that shit can come in time. Like, the hard thing is when you do it long enough and you've got, like, you've got hundreds of songs worth of lyrics in your fucking head. But if you do it enough and, like, you're, if you're on tour and you play the same set every night, you can be thinking about, like, oh, what am I going to have for dinner after this? You know? <laughs> and, and then be like, oh, shit, where am I again? And, and not have missed a, a word and nobody will notice. But uh, the, the hard part to me is when your voice is your instrument, you know, and your, uh -huh. your body is your instrument. And so, like, you had a great piece with Lou Collar on uh, your show where he was talking about having to, uh, you know, do a couple weeks of warm-ups before tour or not hang out with the guys after the show when everyone's yelling and laughing and having a good time because that's how you blow your fucking voice. It's not, like, on stage. And I was like, oh, good. I'm not the only one who I'll lose my voice in the fucking van, you know? That's, oh, no way. <laughs> that's I the mean, hard part. Haven't you ever seen any of the pieces on the interrupters, how much Amy does for her voice because she's such an amazing singer? She says she travels in her bus with, like, a fucking humidifier. She keeps the bus, like really really hot and all the guys hate it because it's not good for your vocal cords for them to get cold oh like, man like i mean she's I mean, she like rightfully so she, they she, they always put on an amazing performance her voice always is very strong but she does so many things for it yeah i i saw them a second time recently and she said that she was uh sick and the doctor told her not to play and i was like how the fuck she said it like an hour into the show or something i was like I didn't even notice. Like, she's <laughs> so fucking good. Yeah, they're great. They're doing a lot of really good things. I'm proud of them. Again, I appreciate you coming on the show. And um, what have we got to look forward to for Last Rockers TV? Oh, my God. So much stuff. Like, I'm, I'm really trying to hammer out my editing cue before Rebellion because Rebellion in August is just going to be such a flood of new content. So 
Currently in my queue, I have Tony from The Adolescence. That was a really good one because he opened up about Steve Soto. Um, and he did mention in that one that he doesn't usually talk about Steve. Uh, but I guess because we're friends, he felt comfortable, which was amazing and sad. And like, oh. Um, I have Milo from The Descendants. Uh, oh. I've got another interview with Strung Out. Uh, I've got an interview piece with the Bat Guys, who I just did their music video, so it's behind the scenes from shooting that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I uh, saw that video. What else do I have? Oh, my God, there's so many. I've got Monique from Save Ferris, another piece with her. Nice. Um, I've got the guys from DI. I've got Wadi from The Exploited. I've got uh, my boys in Total Chaos. There's so many good artists coming up. So much good stuff. That's the awesome. The videos just keep getting better because I'm learning to edit better and all of it. All right, well, all you fuckers subscribe to Last Rockers TV. All right, that is our show. Thank you guys for checking out both of my guests today. Shout out again to Broadway Calls and Aaron Micklow. I had a great time. If you like the show, do me a favor, share this shit, subscribe to it, give me a, a five-star rating, review on iTunes. I appreciate that. Now, as promised... Like I said, it's a dream come true for me. I finally got an album mixed and mastered at the Blasting Room. I've been working on this for two years now. This is the first track anyone's heard from the Dead Fucking Serious album, Peril. It's coming out this summer. There may or may not be a music video coming for this song. It's one of the first ones we wrote when we got back from the Squalor Tour in 2017. We had just got the band back, doing great, package shows, selling records, and then two days after the tour, we lost our bass player. So this song, as summarized at the end, one step forward, two steps back. This song is called Steps. Yes, that's the whole song. Stay tuned for the dead fucking serious peril listening party episode.